0: Several Democratic presidential candidates doubled down on their attacks on President Donald Trump during a conference of Latinos held in San Diego. Unidos U.S. is one of the country's largest Latino advocacy groups, and with the recent mass shooting in El Paso, Texas, it brought an extra weight to the event. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Charles Clark, you're the political reporter for the Union Tribune, and we had several presidential candidates in San Diego at the Unidos US conference. not you give us the big picture? What was the message that everyone seemed to really push during this conference?
1: Right. So it was really you know interesting. Actually, we had five candidates on hand uh, yesterday, uh, and we had so we had Senators Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, as well as former Vice President Joe Biden and former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, I, I think obviously the cons- the main thing that was kind of looming over all of the speakers' addresses was obviously the events that happened this past weekend, uh, particularly in El Paso, um, with the you know targeted killings in particular of Mexican Americans and Mexicans.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's we're still grieving over that. So that still is a big part of political discourse. So um, why don't you kind of explain how important UNIDOS is and kind of what this means in the kind of broader march towards 2020?
1: Right. So UNIDOS, you know, formerly La Raza, uh, they're the biggest uh, Latino, or I believe they refer to it as Hispanic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, civil rights organization in the U.S. So a really big reach. Uh, and part of what made this conference so big is it's their annual conference, drew thousands of people. I know when I talked to the convention center heading into the event, they were estimating upwards of Mm -hmm. 18,000. So it was really a big opportunity for candidates who would attend to really speak to what is one of the fastest growing voting blocks in the U.S. Um, You know, the Latino vote very well uh, could actually shape who ends up being the Democratic nominee.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. In San Diego County, for the first time, white people are no longer the majority as we are probably the first counties to kind of see that fluctuation come into fruition.
1: Right. It's, it's really fascinating, especially in California, where, you know, the Latino population is, you know, the most significant uh, segment of our population as a whole. Um, and, yeah, when you look at it, especially given the adjusted primary schedule, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire don't have the same kind of importance when, you know, if, you know a couple of weeks later you have Texas and California, mm-hmm. the two most rich delegate states, voting in their primary, And they just so happen to be the two states with the largest Latino population in the country. Mm -hmm.
0: And when seeing all those uh, candidates on stage and having them, you know, engage, what was the kind of major theme besides from gun control that you saw from this group?
1: Right. So they actually, you know, the moderator did a nice job that kind of helped facilitate it. But they all went in a slightly different direction. I mean, everyone obviously opened up with El Paso and talking about, you know, pushing back against hateful rhetoric and things like that. Uh, But then individually, they all kind of went in a different segment. I know Joe Biden, he, you know, really focused on hate, obviously call to action on guns. But he also talked a bit about, you know, his pragmatic side. I mean, that seems to be his big uh, appeal that he's been making is, oh, I can work across the aisle. And that was something he talked about is, you know, you have your principles, but there are areas where you can be pragmatic and work together. And that really seemed to be his pitch, which is an interesting tactic because there is some polling that suggests that kind of pragmatism and working together to get things done is one of the top priorities for Latino voters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, outside of Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, she really struck a very optimistic tone and talked about, you know, how you're going to overcome these really dark days and things like that. Uh, She also talked about, you know, uh, how everyone in the country, for the most part, is an immigrant. I I think Mm -hmm. the way she phrased it was, you know, uh, unless you're Native American or your ancestors were brought over here on slave ships, your family are immigrant. You come from a family of immigrants. Uh, you know, similarly, I think everyone kind of tried to tap, or actually several tried to tap into kind of this immigrant thread and kind of mm-hmm. the importance that the immigrant community has made in America and in building America. Some shared their own personal stories. I know Julian Castro. Uh, you know, he talked about the fact that his grandmother, uh, you know, she was an immigrant. Two generations later, he and his brother. You know, his brother is in Congress. He is a you know legitimate candidate for president of the united states mm-hmm. uh, just to show how far you can go obviously we had two other candidates in there as well you know amy klobuchar uh she really focused on more of the economic message and she actually opened up her address talking about the fact that i really want to speak about economic opportunity but first let's talk about this uh, eventually she kind of got back around to it, and she also talked about what i thought was really um unique and she was the only one to address it uh on Monday is she talked about criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, one of the few successful bipartisan things we've seen done uh, with the current state of our government is a uh, bipartisan criminal justice reform uh, package. Uh, Still obviously a ways to go, but one of the things in there was the First Step Act that looked at reducing, you know, census for nonviolent offenders along with other things. She spoke about how, you know, that disproportionately impacts communities of color and particularly Latinos. and how you know, we take that a step further by getting states to start implementing those kind of sensing guidelines as well. Um, I think, you know, leaving us with, I think uh, we got through four there, the last one would be Bernie Sanders. Yeah, of uh, course. <laughs> And what was, I think, kind of striking about Bernie is, you know, Bernie is Bernie. Uh, and for the most part, I think of everyone, he has stayed largely the same. I mean, he talked about his, you know, his own immigrant, family ancestry. That's one thing as
0: a candidate. He tends to have like the three things that he talks about and it's the three things. Right? Like
1: I was going through it in my notes is, you know he talked about gun control, he talked about you know pushing back against big pharma, economic opportunity, you know closing the wealth gap. But it's pretty much he is for the course which was kind of interesting that I think everyone else to a certain degree kind of adjusted a bit more accordingly given their audience.
0: Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that Bernie has admittedly struggled with is connecting with non-white voters.
1: Right, right. So that was actually, you know, one thing I was really interested to observe, which is in this room where obviously, you know, the audience is overwhelmingly Latino, also very active community leaders and things like that. Um, seeing what the reception would be to each candidate, uh, you know, offhand, what I kind of noted is, you know, Bernie got a, a good round of applause. The two people who got the most applause were Julian Castro uh, and then Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. um, then Bernie... Than Biden, uh, and then Klobuchar. Uh, so, so it was really, you know, obviously that's not a, uh, you know, a statistical evidence. It's, <laughs> it's a straw poll. Yeah, like. yeah. Um, but it was an interesting way to gauge sentiment, and I know there's some polling that talks about that as well. Although one thing I did think was interesting, especially with Bernie, is that, you know, one thing he does get a lot of credit for, I know at least in California circles and talking to some of the activists and things, is the fact that he's one of the few candidates that actually shows up in the Central Valley, which mm-hmm. is obviously heavily Latino, Um, And most candidates don't tend to go there because, you know, there's not exactly big fundraising opportunities compared to, say, the Bay or L.A. or whatever. And fewer people, of course. Right. Exactly.
0: And what was the mood of the audience at Onidos? Because not only do we have that mass shooting over the weekend, but also this increasingly anti-immigrant and anti-Latino rhetoric that's really kind of painted the political discussion of the past several years.
1: Right. So... You know, I guess where I would start with that is it was interesting because, you know, I know it came up a lot when I was writing and obviously in our reporting about, you know, well, do they invite Republicans? Um, It is worth noting that historically they have always invited Republicans. I mean, Mm -hmm. even in 2008, John McCain and Barack Obama showed up at this together. They intentionally did not invite Donald Trump. They didn't want to give him that platform exactly because of the reasons you pointed to is that – You know, for them, he has been an attack on their community. And that certainly is the feeling among uh, Latino community members who were at the event. I think when you talk about the mood, um, you know, obviously everyone was grieving. uh, And, you know, you can only imagine what it means. Because I think for a lot of people, it obviously hit them very personally, um, including people who were just like event sponsors, like guys who worked for Walmart and stuff. They would talk about it at Mm -hmm. the start about, you know, I think everyone could feel it in a certain way. Um, what was really striking to me, especially watching them as they went through kind of their engagement with the five speakers, is although they were grieving, there was certainly a lot of hope and optimism mm-hmm. um and I think the I think the best way I would describe it is resolve, like mm-hmm. you know despite these hateful attacks, despite this rising animosity that you know even before this was well documented you know for the last several years on the rise, they are resolved and you know. They know this is their country, too, and they weren't going to just, you know, cower because some, you know, maniac mm-hmm. happened to try to kill him.
0: And also in the universe of the left, where does Zunido stand? Because it is it seems that the left is having a, something of an identity crisis over the past several years. Some people are going extreme and arguing for a full resistance. Some are just you know, essentially supporting Joe Biden because he represents the politics that were. Is UNIDIS more moderate,
1: more liberal? Right. So inherently UNIDIS is a nonprofit. So I know I think technically their baseline is they don't have a political preference. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say among t- attendees, it's interesting you bring that up because that was certainly on display that you had that range of you had the uber, uber liberals who were in the pro-Bernie camp that were you know full-on revolution. I think you could also see very much the, um, I don't really love the word, pragmatic but you could see a traditional perhaps yeah yeah that's probably a better way to put it that you know they look to joe biden as someone who oh he can make the appeal you know to bring back some of those you know obama trump voters um it kind of on a similar thread with that that we can probably get to a bit later that's really interesting is you see obviously that divide with the democratic party and them they're infighting to choose their nominee Mm -hmm. you saw that on display with the candidates as well as how they you know, spoke about issues and things like that. But also, I think you can even see it in that certain candidates have a different view on what their pathway is to the White House. Mm -hmm. So, you know, conventionally, obviously, Joe Biden, it's, oh, we're going to take back. I can go and win, you know, his whole pitch is, I can go and win those states that we lost, predominantly Midwestern states, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you have some other candidates, like Julian Castro, that, yeah, they say, oh, well, I can compete there too. But they take it a step further where, you know, his pitch is, look, I could get to the White House by winning Texas or, you know, winning Texas and Arizona and making a play for Florida. And the reality is if, you know, if Democrats were to win Texas, Mm -hmm. it's over. Yeah, there's no way. So I think that'll be kind of an interesting thing to watch here, especially once you get to the primaries and you see how many voters came out. Obviously, you know, last year, Beto O'Rourke almost took down Ted Cruz in a shocking fashion. You know, I think that makes it probably realistic in a lot of these guys' minds that if I'm the right candidate, maybe I can go in and win Texas, and then maybe, you know, Michigan and these other places. It's not as important to get back to the Trump, you know, the Obama-Trump voters. Maybe I can carve out my own coalition, especially kind of gearing back to why they were at Unidos, the Latino vote. I mean, you have 13.2 million Latino voters Mm -hmm. just in California and Texas. A big part of why Beto O'Rourke almost won Texas, and, you know, most of the statistics bear it out, is that Latinos came out and voted. Mm -hmm.
0: And when it comes to San Diego, which of those themes that you saw from the candidates resonated the most with the issues that affect us
1: here? So that's a good question. I think uh, one of the things I kind of picked up on, and I kind of knew this going in, is if you look at even like you know the LA Times did a great map of where fundraising is coming from to what candidates from the San Diego region, largely it's, you know, I think it was actually Elizabeth Warren, Kamala, Biden, Mm -hmm. uh, and Sanders for the most part. When you look at that, I think that kind of gives you an indication of where they lean as far as issues. Um, But also I think looking at how they talked about issues, you know, I think housing, which I rarely have – in my memory i can't recall many presidential candidates bringing up housing mm-hmm. kamala harris obviously that was one of that was her one of her main talking points. But coming
0: from california that's a more
1: prescient issue than exactly. amy klobuchar exactly exactly so there might be a bit more awareness I, i'm certain or i would venture a guess that you know Californians, that's an issue that's important to them um similarly you know uh looking to the things like education affordability Obviously, those are big points that you know Sanders and Castro both hammered home as well, as well as criminal justice reform, which obviously California is leading the way in. So I would venture, I guess, that's part of the reason, probably, why that was a focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when you look at the actual polling for California as a whole, and we don't have quite as much for San Diego specifically, unfortunately, yet. Um, you know the the issues that are at the top of mind for California voters most. Pollsters kind of suggests it's kind of the similar thing that we're seeing talked about with the larger Democratic Party as a mm-hmm. whole. Um, you know, you see things obviously student debt, all that stuff, affordability, but also at the top of it is beating Donald Trump mm-hmm. um, and undoing what they view as the damage his administration has caused. That still ranks as the top priority. Um, that's why you see in most polls for California as a state, it's you know Biden and Kamala mm-hmm. one and two um, in some kind of order for the most part most polling kind of puts them neck and neck um and, and also
0: was there any kind of sense of frustration of how this primary is going so far as we've had two debates with 10 people on each stage no one can really get a word in is that a point of frustration or is it just we just got to get over with it until we have the obvious top five and actually start
1: voting so i speculating here a bit. Uh, I think it's worth noting the format that Unidos chose to do this in. Um, So the way they had it was they had, you know, they it as a candidate forum, and they very intentionally avoided having all the candidates on stage at one time to avoid it being just a debate. Mm -hmm. That, you know, they won't do that without getting the feedback from, obviously, their attendees and things. That clearly indicates to me that people wanted to hear an actual conversation. They didn't want to just have, you know, the back and forth talking points over each other. They the wanted sound bites. exactly. They wanted to get to something a bit deeper. And I think that actually was really interesting to observe in the room. Is you know the moments that drew the biggest applause and things like that. They weren't necessarily the soundbite moments. You know, it was you know Amy Klobuchar who, I'd venture a guess, you know she's probably not the favorite for most people in that audience. You know, she got a lot of love when she talked about criminal justice reform and things like that. You're not going to get that kind of specific. Detail and things, you know, in a the debate format we have now with such Mm -hmm. a crowded field. Um, So I know they had invited a few more candidates as well, but it may have been a blessing for them that they ended up with the five.
0: Mm -hmm. And now it it appears that even though this was a great chance for them to explain their talking points to a new group, it didn't seem to kind of change the political narrative. As you know, the, the national focus has mostly been on the wake of the mass shooting.
1: Right. Yeah. So it it doesn't have the national poll. I think what will be really interesting to observe, and I'm not sure if there's any way we'll ever really be able to quantify it, is, you know, obviously the timing was purely coincidental. There's no Mm -hmm. way obviously these candidates knew they would happen to be speaking to this audience in the wake of what just happened. I think it was kind of a A big opportunity for them in that sense that here is a moment where this community in particular is at its most vulnerable, and you have a moment to talk to some of the most active community members out there, people who are really on the ground doing that work. Mm -hmm. So I will be curious to see, you know, and I'll probably start making some calls to get a sense of it. Mm -hmm. The people who were there when they went home, how many of them were more motivated to go out and work for that candidate? And that's where you may see the impact more in the, down the line. We won't necessarily see it in a national trend, but if people are, you know, if they were super jazzed by, you know, what Kamala or Biden or you know, any of these guys said, if they go back into their community and they're talking about it, that's going to make a huge difference. And I know that one of the big things in the Latino community in particular in research, we actually talked about this a bit earlier in the week, is that trusted messengers are huge. So it actually means a lot more in those communities to hear from people who are community members rather than, you know, mm-hmm. some celebrity parachuting in or even necessarily the candidate themselves. If you have a trusted person relaying that message, that, that's going to be huge.
0: Mm-hmm. It Winning a primary really comes down to knocking on doors statewide.
1: Right, yeah. Like at the end, you know, I kind of go back to one thing we got to talk about a bit. Uh, last week in some of our works, you know, I, I had a advocate who told me, at the end of the day, it's about showing up. Mm-hmm. Who's actually going to show up in the communities? You know, whether it's you personally or a surrogate who is trusted and is actually present and listening to people. Um, so it'll be really fascinating, you know. And also, it, the numbers, assuming they play out the way that they're projected to, you're going to have to go through the Latino vote if you're the Democratic nominee. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very There's no other way around it. Right? Yeah. And like you know, I know everyone obviously talks about Biden as the favorite in that's understandable obviously the polling pulls it out it'll be really interesting once we actually get to when people are voting if his message is holding up when you come to a place like california Mm -hmm. or texas and if you end up underperforming in those states that has a far bigger consequence i think than you know the traditional uh thinking about oh i need to go and make a huge show in iowa or new hampshire Mm
0: -hmm. all right charlie clark
1: thank you so much yeah thanks for having me daniel
0: in other political news, federal prosecutors and attorneys for Margaret Hunter have asked for a delay in her sentencing date. It was originally set for September 16th, and they wish it to be moved to December 2nd. Margaret Hunter pled guilty in June to one count kind of conspiracy. She and her husband, Alpine Representative Duncan Hunter, are accused of misspending a quarter million dollars of campaign funds on nearly everything from personal expenses, family vacations, and alleged affairs. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. On weekday mornings, you can also hear a quick rundown of local weather and headlines. Just tell your smart speaker to launch the San Diego Union Tribune. You can also get the flash briefing as a podcast. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to uniontrip.com slash podcasts. Until next time.